the idea is that you have to massage the content that you create. You have to build lots of sort of recognition as an authority in that area. And that's a pretty deep long-term process to be able to create this strength in terms of how the search engines see you in your niche, in your area, geographically, among other publications and other people that can be found online. Welcome to It's All Journalism. My name is Michael O'Connell with another podcast about the people who make digital news. And uh, on the phone with me today are two people from Metro Publisher. Uh, Mark Pratt is a he's a man of many different hats, but probably the best way to describe him is a, you know, an educational content provider, editor. Um, welcome, Mark. Thank you. Um, okay. Great to be here. And then also on the phone with us is uh, Michael Romano, also from Metro Publisher. He's a designer and project manager there. Uh, welcome, Michael. Hi, welcome. Thank you. Okay. And and we're, we're going to have sort of a, a free-form conversation here about digital media. And uh, can, can we just talk sort of in, in, in broad terms, uh, sort of describe what Metro Publisher is as sort of a jumping-off point? Sure. So purely technically speaking, we're a cloud mobile CMS specifically designed for media companies. But on the less technical scale, um, what we're really doing is we're taking uh, many small contributions, which we receive in the form of monthly subscription fees, and turning it into what we think is a really interesting research and design budget that's benefiting many small and independent publishers. So Metro Publisher is a cloud service, which means that we're constantly rolling out updates and also turning things that in the past might have been complicated and uh, and required working with a developer and, and turning them into something that that basically just happens. So a good example of that would be responsive design. That was something that all of our clients got more than, I think, three years ago uh, as just part of an update. It's not something that they had to invest any resources in. It's not something that they had to meet about. It was just something that all of a sudden their sites could do. And so we saw, for example, because we're in so many different countries, that German family magazines had responsive websites before any of the major newspapers in Germany did. And that's kind of, I think, speaks to the strength of what we're doing is that we're bundling these many fees into uh, what is one of the largest R&D budgets and then also what we're now ramping into an, into an educational budget to help these small independent publishers stay at the technical cutting edge, which, in, you know, independently, they wouldn't be able to afford the kind of staff that we have. And uh, they also really shouldn't have to, in our opinion, spend so much of their time figuring out what technology is relevant, and then actually making that happen. They should be able to focus on their core competency, which is growing their audience and uh, serving the community that, you know, that, that they're writing for or publishing video for. Yeah, the, the, the word I want to jump off in there is, is educational. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk with you is that you're producing on your website uh, videos that uh, are basic, you know, that sort of answer basic questions that people who who are publishers, who are editors, who are, who are looking to, you know, sort of expand their presence and, and sort of grow on online, just basic questions they might have to sort of understand how they can sort of thrive in that space. Could you sort of talk about how you came about doing these videos? Sure. So, I mean, so let's take something like revenue, right? You know, maybe you have three extremely talented journalists, but, you know, they're going to need money in order to continue financing what they're doing. There's clearly the nonprofit model, um, which we don't really go into much. We're more focused on, you know, selling products and services to to advertisers. So, you know, that can be everything from the classical banner ad to directories, as well as um, 
new forms like sponsored content, and also in ways that they can be done, you know, ethically and, and you know, with that clear separation of church and state. Because the, the world of publishing is changing, and, and what we're seeing is that also companies are effectively becoming publishers. It's not sufficient anymore to just say, you know, we're, we're this and we do this. You have to show, you know, the passion behind the product, and you have to explain to people what value proposition you bring. And it turns out that many of those skills in explaining those things are also, you know, such as good writing, are found among, among journalists. So it's possible to, to build products out of that and to gain revenue and to turn that revenue into financing journalists, entrepreneurs, if you will. And so those are the kinds of things that we want to tell the story behind, the, starting all the way with the basics like um, telling your story to advertisers. And the thing also that we have to recognize is, you know, ultimately we're still that cloud and mobile CMS, and there are all kinds of really cool people out there that are sometimes hard to find, and in some cases maybe even might be beyond what an individual publisher can afford, but we're working with, with experts and we're, if you will, cultivating and building educational programming with a variety of different experts. So starting with sales, but also in areas like SEO, ad operations and ad trafficking and producing content around that, which we public, which we publish completely for free for anybody. They don't need to be a Metro Publisher client to, to watch that. But clearly we're doing that because we have a vested interest in seeing our clients succeed. And we understand that it's not just about technology. Education is going to be be crucial in order to execute well on you know the editorial and production side, as well as the revenue side, and um, and also then in using that technology properly, to for example ensure that you know you're you're doing consistently well when people are searching for things on sites like Google. You have a number of uh, customers. I think you you actually when we were talking before you said over a hundred uh, publications that that you provide services for. What is it that that those companies gen- generally come to you for? What is it you know are they looking for? Well, we have Metro Publisher itself is a true cloud and mobile CMS. So, um, you know, there are no setup fees or sign-up costs of any kind. It's, it's pay-as-you-go. And so um, many folks literally don't contract with us for any services. They just sign up for Metro Publisher, you know, start using the platform and are publishing and growing their business because they're able to focus on what they do best and not have to deal so much with the technology stuff. Then we also have some folks, especially in larger organizations, that want a little bit more hand-holding, and they work, for example, with, with Mike and, and the projects team on really just arriving at an original design, doing things like migrating content, the project management experience that we bring. So well, does that answer your question? I mean, Yeah, what? yeah, I, I, because the, the way the, – where I wanted to go with this is that you're dealing with a lot of different publishers. You know, what do you see as their concerns, or, or what is it maybe that you – see as the misconceptions they might have as they, they sort of try to grow their, uh, their website? Well, I would say that a lot of publishers, they are challenged by how quickly the, the uh, industry is changing, especially the Internet. And so they're always sort of looking for new information to be better at sales, be better at producing content, to be better with their search optimization. And not a lot of them go to shows. You know, they don't go to conferences where they have this kind of this opportunity to talk directly with other publishers, especially smaller publications. Outside of the United States, for example, in Germany, it's not nearly as organized. So people have a harder time finding these central sources of information. And so for us, that's one of the things we do when we 
help launch a new site when we're actually doing a launch project where we're, we've customized the services we're going to give them. It could be doing an import and moving in the content over from an old CMS. It could be talking about the content strategy. Those things actually go hand in hand. And there's a lot of times you're a separate set of eyes to sort through their content and help them prioritize things. It's also an aspect about the visual design and keeping up with the sort of current trends uh, in publishing and the web in general. But it's a lot of consulting about how to repurpose and re-strategize their content. And then for all of these specific things like sales and various other things that are ongoing, that's a lot of the content that we've been producing now. Trying to create a source, a free source that's readily available for these publishers to access on various topics. So what is it that they mostly don't know? Is it all just technical stuff or is it is it, you know, they don't understand how to sell on the web or how to how to publish on the web? It's a lot of different areas. Sometimes it's just being able to provide content that basically supports what's done in print in order to keep up with the the schedule that's required for producing content online. Sometimes it's retraining their sales staff to sort of understand how to sell for the web. Other things search optimization and how you def- how you strategize the way you structure your content around the way that people are looking for things online. Those are pretty typical challenges, I would say. It's mostly around visibility, strategizing SEO, and then ad sales. So can you talk a little bit about SEO? I mean, it's something that we've, we've mentioned in passing a lot on the podcast. We haven't had to really we haven't really gone deep in it. For those who, who don't understand, SEO is search engine optimization. It's you know coming up with headlines and stories that, that are searchable, that, that they're going to show up higher in, in Google. How do you train people in something like that? Or how do you present information like that? Well, the first thing is it's a really huge topic, and it has a lot of different tendrils that reach into a lot of different areas. From our point of view, being the creator of a, of a CMS, there's a technical aspect to it, which is our responsibility. And that is creating a system that has all of the technical requirements present your content online in a way that the search engines want it to be. But then there's quite a bit of it that's the responsibility of the publishers in terms of the creation of content in a way that is sort of, I don't know, compliant with the way that their readers are searching for things. And so they have to be aware of that. There's also a huge part of it, which is being seen in their niche or in their particular area as an authority. Now, Publishers of content, magazines and otherwise, already have a strong, a major benefit, which is they are producers of content and search engines want to find real content that's valid about a certain topic. Whereas corporations that are trying to produce content to promote their brand, they're not really producers of content so much as they're producer of a product. But a newspaper, on the other hand, that's what they do. They create content. So the idea is that you have to massage the content that you create, you have to build lots of sort of recognition as an authority in that area. And that's a pretty deep, long-term process to be able to create this strength in terms of how the search engines see you in your niche, in your area, geographically, among other publications and other people that can be found online. Yeah, and, and I would add to that, I mean, essentially, first of all, when, when people sometimes talk about SEO, you know, they make it sound very mysterious. And I think we have to kind of take a, a several steps backwards including that the search engines, their job is to find relevant content. And uh, they don't always do it right. They don't always do a great job of it. But, you know, there are things that you can do technically that make, it, make the job of the search engine easier. So, for example, 
there are you know published schemas and standards for things like restaurant reviews, album reviews, and also for marking up content in a certain way, all behind the scenes, if you will. Uh, so that the search engine understands, for example, that you're you're talking about a location, or if you're if you're writing about an event, that this is an event, and that these fields specifically are when the event starts and, and when they go away. And so I'd like to tell, uh, you know, maybe this is a, a real a real occurrence here, a real story, um, to explain the other kind of SEO, which isn't technical, which is editorial. Um, we had a um, publisher call us and say, hey, listen, uh, I'm super excited when I do a search on Tori Amos and my city. Right now, we're the number one result. You know, the events listing that we have about, about this concert is coming up as the number one result. That's awesome. However, we also published an interview with her, and I can't find that anywhere. What's going on? <laughs> Well, it turns out that they had managed to write an interview with her where they not, not once in the article mentioned her name. So that's, a, that's, I think, a great illustration of the difference between technical SEO and editorial SEO. That technology cannot help you there. You know, you need to actually write, in this case, her name. And so, of course, they had her name in the graphic itself, but they didn't have it in the, in the alt description, meaning the, the simple description of what, that, of what that photo is. So both are, are essentially very, very important. The technology part needs to work, and that's the kind of stuff that we worry about and, and, and so that you know, people in media can focus on, on what they do during the day. And then, but they're definitely responsible for, for following some, some basic editorial practices. And these are the kinds of things that we will be developing lots and lots of material on to demystify some of this stuff because it really isn't that hard. And, um, but what Mike was getting at is, is the long-term strategy. There's things that you can do in the immediate term and that you should be training your, you know, your, your staff and your colleagues on and making sure that you're enforcing certain editorial standards just like there are other standards in, in journalism, right? Like, you know, we write AP style, let's say. And then there's stuff that you can do over a longer period of time to, to cement your position as being a leader in a certain space in terms of topics that you cover and, and areas of your interest. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you a, a real-world example uh, that occurred uh, at, during my day job here at, at Federal News Radio. You know, our primary audience are federal employees, many of whom are in, in the Washington, D.C. area. And we had this big snowstorm come through here a few weeks ago. And uh, everybody was waiting to see whether the Office of Personnel Management was going to close down the government or anything. And we were really proactive about in the stories that we were writing to sort of build them from a search aspect that not only, you know, are we going to put them in all the places we want to so they're going to be noticed, that when people are searching for, you know, federal government closing, um, that we show up somewhere high in the uh, in the search on Google. And it turned out uh, for several days we were the number one search in, you know, for D.C. government, government closing which was kind of huge for this. And we were able to look at the analytics and see that uh, we that our search was pulling in more people than, you know, our placement on our sister station, W2P, which is huge. And then also even our own website. So search can be a huge sort of thing if you, like you were saying, for the long term, sort of presenting yourself as, a, as an expert, but then also just in, you know, taking advantage of, you know, understanding how you, what you're, audience is going to be looking for and then sort of catering the content to that and making sure that it, it it's going to show up when they look for it. Yeah. And, and that would be exactly actually the kind of case study, you know, we would be interested in, in covering. So, you know, I'm happy you shared that and I'll <laughs> definitely be interested in asking you more about that after. But yeah, I mean, you know, um, I think that, that the analytics can be very useful that there's tools like, of course, Google Trends, but again, you know, just because you know that there's a tool out there, you, you also have to understand how to use those tools. And, you know, that's where I think it's so valuable 
for people to go to conferences, number one, and to see those presentations, but for, for, for people to just demystify, you know, what is required and, and keep it in, in terms that people, you know, that's actionable, basically, where they can do that on their own. And uh, some of that involves technology, and but a lot of that is, is still, and, and, and that's a good thing, you know, up to individual people to do, to do things right. Yeah, it's sort of a two-tier thing. On the one hand, that you have to sort of adopt it and then understand it, but then, you know, go back and then measure it and then learn from what you, you're able to measure. And that's where analytics come in in things like this, is that you can do all types of things just from your, your, your sort of gut, make these gut decisions, but, you know, you, your, your gut decisions may be really bad. And, you know, measuring is, is so important in, in, in sort of improving your performance on the web. That's a, a big yeah. part of it because, I mean, you can massage your message according to what people are looking for. I mean, you still have your editorial integrity, but you're able to draw in a lot more eyes. And ultimately, that's what it takes to be a successful magazine online. And I think it's a little bit of a journey for a lot of people, especially coming from print, to sort of, I don't know, just to have that embedded in the culture of what they're doing with their with their. Um, content online. Yeah, no, the, the, that's the that's the big trick is to, 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 to try to get people to find you and and then anticipating how they're going to look for you and uh, you know part of it is where you you know where you you show up, you know, you know what other um, you know in social media or, or other um, websites you might be your link and your your uh, articles may show up on uh, just getting being noticed out there but also getting it you know, putting yourself where your readers are going to be. I mentioned social media. It, it, from a social media standpoint, what uh, what are the concerns that a lot of the uh, publishers come to you about? Well, I mean, if there's one more thing I actually would like to mention about the the previous topic, and then then I'll I'll, I'll be happy to to, to, okay. to share that. When it comes to you know the 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 analytics part, people, especially you know, if let's say they're online only publishers, maybe they're hyper locals. They're very excited about, you know, all the stuff you can do in digital, but this is also some of the stuff we're going to be covering in videos. Things like focus groups, you know, actually organizing a focus group maybe in person or, um, you know, running reader surveys. I mean, you know, these are things that people have been doing for, for, for decades. Those are also very essential to address the point that you were talking about, which is, you know, you may think you know what your audience wants, but you might be completely off. And so data is important, whether we get that through an analytics tool or whether we organize our own, our own events and our own, you know, our own surveys to kind of arrive at that. So I just wanted to add some of that. And then when it comes to social media, social media is a little difficult because effectively, you know, if we're talking about social media, uh, we're clearly talking about Twitter and Facebook more than anything else. Of course, there's Instagram and other sources out there. But if we want to talk about Facebook, there, um, you know, there's a little bit of bad blood there, I think, between publishers and, and Facebook, in particular as it relates to Initially, when they were ramping up, they were selling publishers on the idea of, you know, running campaigns to get them to, to be liked on, um, on Facebook. And then Facebook, of course, kept on tweaking the algorithm. And so where publishers thought that they had a real connection to that audience, you know, similar to the way that if they build their own mailing list, they were starting to see, you know, the content no longer appear. And so it's, it's very interesting when you, when you read um, new articles about, you know, people's traffic and things like that. There are some organizations, like, for example, the Washington Post, that has continuously seen a rise in people coming in through social media versus many other uh, media companies that are actually seeing a massive decline, even though they're not really doing anything differently from more the way that they were doing before. So, you know, Facebook is clearly pushing people to, you know, to buy, to boost their posts through, you know, through sponsoring and things like that. And, and so to answer your question, how do, how do publishers feel about social media and how are they using it? Of course, they're using it. It's, it's essential. 
but it's not always very transparent. Um, and, and, and I don't think the publisher can be blamed there for that lack of transparency. <laughs> well, and, you know, we, we, use, we use social media as well here. And we sort of, for us, it's sort of a mixed experience. When, when Facebook works, it works really huge. Yeah. It's, we, can, we can get a huge surge of uh, referrals from Facebook. But day to day, not so much. And so for us, it's it's a challenge of, you know, how do we work this into what we're doing? Twitter for us is, is less of, you know, Twitter's, Twitter's what Twitter is. It's, it's you know, breaking news. It's wonderful breaking news. It's wonderful for finding sources and communicating your sources and things. But it doesn't build audience the way that Facebook is. But, of course, now it looks like maybe Twitter may be changing the way it's doing things in a more Facebooky way. So we'll have to see how that turns out. And but you guys are also running. I mean, at, at, at your organization, you're also using um, building mail lists, right? And you're sending out yeah. newsletters and stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah. Because that's that's really where you know. Uh, I mean, if you, if you pay attention to the various news outlets that cover like media, and email seems to always have this resurgence where people are saying, "Hey, don't forget about email." And actually, email is more relevant than ever, and people are reading. You know, it's. I mean, there's lots of things that are broken about email, but if you really want to build your own relationship and kind of have that push part. And that makes a lot of sense. And then, of course, there are, um, you know, specialized services where uh, which you can easily add to your site where you can send out push not- notifications where people can opt in. You know, th- th- those are always a lot safer than, I'm afraid, something like Facebook. But, yeah, you're right. Of course, when it works, it works really well. And also, let's not forget about sites like Reddit. We have uh, quite a few of our clients seem to regularly make it on sites like Reddit, you know, and that's a whole other community that you can approach uh, where it's more transparent how that traffic builds and, you know. Yeah, yeah, and I would I would just to talk about newsletters a little bit. Um, I mean, we do a lot of newsletters here, and certainly from the sales perspective, uh, the sales staff likes the idea of newsletters because you know here's a here's an audience that they can say these are people who want to get our content, and so then it becomes a push for getting people to sign up to the newsletters. So it's another way for you to sort of engage and target your audience for your content and, and get it out there. I, I would argue that. Whether you're a hyperlocal, a magazine, a newspaper, you need to you need to be doing newsletters. I mean, there's really yeah, and I would say for all of these things between social media, newsletters, etc., the trick is, especially for smaller publishers, is to figure out what's the right fit for them in terms of frequency and which social media channels they use and how well, how often they use it. Because running newsletters effectively, doing social media effectively requires a bit of labor as well. And the tricky part is for them, depending on their particular niche and their audience, deciding how much time they can devote to that and to, to do it effectively. Yeah. But having said that, there's also tools that you can, I mean, newsletters yeah. have gotten more sophisticated over the years. They're able to, for example, automatically pull in certain types of content out of your CMS. And uh, we have guides like that for, for, for our clients that explain how to do that kind of stuff. So, you know, that's another key area. It's essentially what we're thinking about is, you know, what will help people grow their audience? Will people grow their revenue? And what will help them somehow work smarter and faster so that they're not doing as much, you know, copying, paste, you know, stuff that really software should be doing for them. So as we're sort of going forward here, what is, what is it do you think that the, the smaller publication, where, where do you think they should be putting their efforts? Well, their content. I mean, definitely. It, it, I, are you assuming that they know their, their audience inside out and, and that they're doing a, well, a, a great job in, at growing that audience? Well, here's the thing. You know, I, I worked at a, a, at a weekly uh, newspaper uh, before I came uh, to Federal News Radio, and we were facing the same transition a lot of the small newspapers were dealing with. And their sense was, well, we know our audience better than, than you know, the Washington Post or any of the other 
big news outlets. And, and, and to a degree, it was true. But, you know, we were losing readership. We were losing, we were losing revenue. Part of that, of course, was the uh, downturn in the economy and, and sort of the switch to digital in general. So then it became a challenge. Well, how do we leverage our expertise in knowing this community into growing that audience and, you know, making us sort of the boutique um, news outlet for that particular community. And it was a real challenge. And, you know, I, I left before they, they, they reached their, their solution. But I know that that was something that was keeping a lot of people up at night. Yeah, definitely. In my experience, when, whenever we're talking to a, a news organization, most of the time, and so because clearly we're talking with some organizations and, and working with organizations that have, you know, staff size of 50 or more, and they have all kinds of specialists. And, and so that's what I'm about to say doesn't apply to them. But to smaller and independent publishers, we very frequently find that they're not that they're having difficulty telling their, their story to the advertiser and that they're also not executing on simple things like what we call easy to buy, meaning, you know, to give you an example, we go to a lot of conferences and present our, our products and services. And occasionally I'll come across literally like a 40-page prospectus and ordering form. And now I'm not saying that the typical, you know, newspaper would, would go to the extremes like that, but there are things that you can do where you're not confusing your potential buyer and where you're making it very easy for them to understand what value you bring. And in my experience, a lot of folks are not executing on that, something as basic as that. So everything from the way the media kit is designed to building products where it's no longer about, you know, do I buy a banner or do I buy a directory listing, you know, like, I mean, in building packages. And because at the end of the day, you know, the advertiser, if we're talking about advertising and sales now, doesn't, like, they, if, you, if they trust you, they want to reach your audience, right? They've determined that your audience are the folks that they want to have, you know, buying their products or coming into their store or, you know, depending on what it is that they're selling. And so they trust you to deliver that audience. And uh, so I think that where this is going and where, where the organizations that are having success versus the ones that are not doing so well, or in some cases failing, are the ones that are making it easy for the advertiser to understand the value that they bring, helping the advertiser. So, you know, many of the presentations we've seen at conferences, like, for example, the Association of Alternative News Media, have to do with what services are publishers rolling out to help advertisers reach that audience and somehow connect with them or, or be better informed what value that they bring to the community. So there's a lot of writing typically involved in that. There's potentially video production involved in that. There's a good integration where it makes sense for them to be connected to that audience. You know, I mean, to give you a less abstract example, and this also, for example, fully supports this separation of church and state. One of our clients, basically what they did was they had somebody who was, let's say, an insurance specialist, an insurance agent. And uh, what they did was for their audience, they opened up a topic that was relevant to that audience, and then they, they asked them to send in their questions to be answered by this expert. So those questions were then answered, and that was then the piece of content that was published. Now, you know, that is clearly sponsored content in the sense that they would have not done this for this, for this advertiser if they hadn't paid for that service. But at the same time, it was 100% relevant content because they were ultimately answering the question of the audience. Those were not questions that were coming from the publication. They were not questions coming from that person themselves. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things that a, a media organization can do to help the advertisers connect with that audience. Yeah. Uh, that, that's what I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and uh, the AA conferences, I've been to two of them, and uh, they, they're really kind of fascinating because the Association of Alternative News Media, that uh, they represent, you know, a wide swath of uh, alternative uh, publications 
and you know that have sort of a have built up a certain identity within their communities you know whether it be music or alternative news or or, or something something like that and you know for them it, it was really important to try to figure out how they could leverage what what they did well whether it's like music reviews or restaurant reviews or something like that and sort of monetize it or make that a way that they can sort of take advantage of their role in the community and you know, make that something that links the reader to the to the advertiser. You know, there were several people who were making presentations about things that you know that built around uh, like like music calendars or event calendars that advertisers were able to buy sponsorship into and things like that. Where you're looking at your content less as a you know, well, you know, here's my review of a of a you know Tori Amos concert. Well, maybe you know, maybe you have a way a widget on on your website where people can buy tickets from there or something. You know, looking at your content content in a different way and and monetizing it that way. Well, I think there's another thing too that I don't know if a lot of publishers yet really make use of it. But the reality is what you're really selling is the strength of the brand and the traffic of your publication to an advertiser. And in many cases, the publication is a lot more sophisticated in terms of the web than the advertiser itself. So one thing that is really smart for publishers to do, in addition to this, you know, this package for presence on the site in the form of a banner or inclusion in email, you know, directing people to buy tickets is also to sort of, you know, raise the digital profile of the advertiser. And so there's a variety of things that publishers can try as sort of, I don't know what you call it, sort of ancillary services to what they're already selling to help their advertiser be more effective digitally because ultimately they're much better at it. So it's a good opportunity for them to sort of bring some value to the um, to their message in addition to the presence on their site. And I don't know if a lot of publishers do that. Yeah, well, maybe you know, maybe you're you you're known for your restaurant reviews, and and you have advertisers who are restaurants. Maybe you you have something in there where people can can make reservations from from your website to the variety of uh, restaurants in your in your community. Uh, you know, sort of offer- oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's that's uh, if you create a listing or you create any write any reviews about that advertiser, for sure you're going to be driving traffic back to them for reservations and such. But at the same time, it, since you're in the digital space as a publisher, perhaps something you can offer to the advertiser is sort of like a digital audit. Like, what is it that you you know? What's your website like? How's your presence on social media? All of the things that the publisher has to do for themselves, which they become experts at by having to do it all day long, they can even and offer those to, to their advertisers to help raise their profile in addition to what they're selling them in terms of presence on their own site. Because these guys are oftentimes not super good at it and haven't, you know, maybe aren't as a present on social media or on Yelp and places where they, they might be found. Information might not be up to date. And those are kind of things that I think would be interesting for advertisers to offer to their, uh, I'm sorry, publications to offer to their advertisers to help complete the picture for these advertisers who are often a lot less sophisticated than they are. Yeah. Who, who yeah. don't know how to, don't know how to build websites that don't know how to sort of promote their content. I know I've heard of models where, newspapers actually sort of create uh, websites for, you know, their customers or sort of address one of the things that, that's, you know, the, the drive to digital has sort of changed is, you know, the drying up of, uh, uh, of the yellow pages, you know, creating sort right. of a, a section of your online site that's like a quote-unquote storefront where all of your advertisers can have a, a digital presence where they can, you know, describe the services that they offer. 
providing that exactly. that type of uh, well, service. I mean, just to, to give you a, a, an even more basic example, I mean, publishers and, and media companies have had enough of a challenge keeping up with making sure that their you know their websites are responsive and mobile friendly and you know using responsive images and whatever latest trend comes, and as well as delivering, of course, structured information, which is another key challenge. But when we're talking about you know publishers and media companies, they've met that challenge for the most part. It's the advertisers that very frequently still have like flash-driven websites. And what we're seeing, what used to be, you know, before all these updates and all these continuous changes of the search engines, it could be that you could actually find some of those sites, but now they're being knocked down so far that there's a, I would say this happens the majority of the time. I mean, I want to put an exact percentage on amount on it, but it is really the majority of the time. Let's say if you're an alt-weekly and you've written, you have a business listing, maybe you have a directory, or you've written an article about this place, that's going to come out way, way, way ahead of that actual website for that business. That is happening so often now, and it's because you know they're not the advertisers are not able to keep up with the technical requirements anymore. That the search engines are basically laying out because they want to return good results, and they also, you know, these days don't just care about like showing a listing of things. They also care about that when people hit that site, that it's going to be fast. That's a criteria. That it's mobile friendly. That's a criteria. And so you know this. It can be as basic as let's say an alt weekly or or similar or city magazine newspaper building a very, very strong business listings page on their site, which includes video, photos, a write-up of things that happen there, including also automatically the Facebook feed, um, so that doesn't involve a lot of updating, but, you know, helps the advertiser reach that audience and also helps the buyer, the person. Let's say, let's say take a restaurant. What kind of a restaurant am I looking for right now? Am I looking for one to go out on a romantic date on, or am I looking for one to celebrate my birthday with 20 people? A good business directory listing with photos helps me make that buying decision. And so if I can't easily find that, if I can't, number one, can't find the website at all, and number two, when I hit that website, it's like this very convoluted, flashy thing that takes forever to load and, and doesn't have that information, that's not helping the advertiser. So I think that's the kind of role, again, that, that publishers and media organizations can play and to help the advertiser. Yeah, and one of the things that, that people don't always think about when they're they're talking about digital journalism and sort of the role of the news outlet in the community is one of the things that the that the news outlet has has traditionally done is provide access to advertising, the you know to connect uh, your readers with local businesses. That's been traditionally part of the 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 business model, uh, you know, going back you know hundred years or so, and so creating a a, a successful sort of business side of your of your publication helps to strengthen your image as a go-to brand for bringing people to content about a particular community. Yeah, and I think that what's going to be happening, and what already is happening, is as banners become less effective, and it depends on the kind of niche audience you have, how many people are using ad blockers. And now, obviously, with the iPhone allowing ad blockers, you're going to see that there's more of that. But banner ads are still an effective part of the ad sales. But the point is that whatever it is that you do now with your advertisers, publishers have to get much more clever about providing useful content. So in the form of maybe sponsored content, Mark gave an example of a questionnaire for an insurance company. And there's a lot of different ways that you can spin whatever the messages of an advertiser and try to come up with a way to make it 
fit nicely in terms of content that your readers would see as useful. And it really depends on the type of publication you are. It's a little more difficult with alternative weeklies because they tend to, the separation between those two things is much greater. But let's say, for example, a bicycling magazine, one of their brand promises is to bring all of the new products that cyclists would enjoy. And there's a situation where as a publication, you probably have an easier time for providing content sponsored by an advertiser and it's seen as a benefit. But also just the average advertiser helping them create a a stronger call to action. You know, it's not enough just to provide a graphic as a banner ad. You have to help them with the funnel that they're basically pushing a reader through if they do if they do act in some way. So you have to provide these services to sort of to give this complete message to the Bad sales. So, so I know that uh, Mark mentioned that you guys had gone to conferences. Did you go to the AAN conference in Utah this last summer? Yeah, I was there. Did you sit in on the Eric Bright presentation? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I was meeting with a lot of people while I was there. Which one was that? Uh, that was the that was the one that 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 basically marketers ruin everything. It was a pretty incredible uh, presentation. We've actually, you know, we've got it. Uh, I'm going to put that with this podcast, uh, the link to it. The, one of the things, and it was, it was the, the great thing about the AAN conventions or, or the conferences is that they're pretty well divided between sort of sales and business and the editorial. Right. And, and the problems occur when you get both of them in, in the same room and you make it, you make, there's somebody up there who says something where one half of the room is like, yeah. And the other half of the room is like, <laughs> We can't pay for this, or that's not, uh, you know, uh, journalistically ethic ethical. So Eric made right, a re- our readers will revolt. Yeah, it was uh, it was a pretty uh, pretty great uh, presentation, and his thesis was basically creating advertising that doesn't look like advertising. And uh, you know, he, he rolled out this sort of demo he had of uh, Utah.com, which is a travel website where. It, it, it was built around this beautiful single image of somebody skiing and then uh, some sponsored content around it. But there was nothing on that page that led you, that made you think that any of it was advertising, but it was all sponsored. Yes, I know exactly the site you're talking about. Yeah. It's funny because there's opinion going both ways on that. And um, in some cases, people don't like the fact that they're reading what they think is an article and then they discover later on that it's sponsored content. At other times, it's like, I guess it really depends on your your market. I think for for alt-weeklies, it's much harder to do that. But for, you know, Utah.com, it's promoting tourism and skiing and all of these different things. So it's kind of obvious you would expect that there would be promotions from the ski resorts, for example, and whatever. But um, yeah, I know exactly the example you're talking about. I was looking at that site recently, and it's interesting interesting uh, uh, how integrated the sponsored yeah. content is. Yeah. And, and I mean, I may reach out to Eric again and sort of do a follow up. But one of the things that, that I found really fascinating about that in particular was you could scroll over like somebody skiing, you could scroll over them and then like a, a pop up would come up with a link to, you know, that jacket or those skis. Yeah, it was it was really kind of a different way of thinking about advertising. Um, well, we, we sure. What I'd like to know is how effective that is. How yeah. how often people actually buy? Because it may be that it's a pretty good experiment, and then the results are not that great, or it could be completely changed. Uh, you know, uh, earth shattering. Yeah. The results. It's it's hard to say, but it's it's very interesting how how they've integrated in the in the site. Yeah. And, and I think his his reaction to, the, the, to that sort of design, you know, came from the idea of going to a website that is just way overloaded with ads, 
you know, banner ads that weren't effective, ads that just drove people away from your content. So, you know, here's a website that doesn't have any ads, but all of its ads. So, <laughs> so, right, right. So, well, I think that's where the publishers have to use their experience and how deep they are in their own community to decide where they fit into that spectrum. You know, like I gave the example of a bike magazine. There's all kinds of things like that where bringing the message of an advertiser, as long as the advertiser's product or service is paired nicely with your audience, is not seen as a, as a bad thing. Ethically, you probably should call it out in a way that makes it obvious without it being too, right. you know, too big a deal. But actually, in some countries like Germany, for example, you're required to by law. You can't make it so hidden. It has to be obvious. So it really depends. Like I said, your relationship with your audience probably will guide, guide you making decisions in that regard. And I think with all weeklies, especially because they're seen as a news organization, oftentimes they're writing stories you know, that are revealing about you know, corruption in the system and, and things like that. Then themselves are doing this kind of sneaky sponsored content it seems it seems to be unethical i think may, may, there really is you know no reason for it i mean you know if, if, if you're doing right by the advertiser you're going to create content where they're going to fit in nicely and then you know it should be declared there's there's no reason why sponsored content should be hidden what's what's the point of that it, it, i mean clearly it's not always so easy to come up with the right campaign or the right fit for that advertising. You know, it does require some creativity and, and also to turn that more into, into more standardized offerings, both on a technical level as well as, um, you know, on yeah. the promise that you're making. Those, those are real challenges. And that's where, you know, experts like Ryan Dorn that we're partnering with, for example, comes in because he's consulting with and working with all kinds of different organizations in all kinds of different markets. And he's able to kind of say, you know, this works. I've seen this work a hundred times. And not just in all weeklies, but also in newspapers and in magazines, where I've seen this, this works particularly well in this. You know, there's, there's also areas where, you know, we've been talking a lot about advertising and revenue, but that technically is not the mission of Metro Publisher. You know, it's, it's, we're very much focused on, on the content side, you know, executing uh, people helping, sorry, executing on, on, on the mission of helping people publish content smarter and faster and better. Um, helping them grow their audience, but the, clearly the revenue component is a key part, which is why why we're interested in that area. But at a certain point, we also say, "Hey, talk to this guy, or or look at this product, or look at this service. We think that could work really, really well for you." you know? So, so what's uh, to sort of wrap up here? What is uh, what's Metro Publishers' next step? <laughs> well. Um, I think that what what's, we don't really like to talk too much about the future because software companies are very well known for uh, vaporware, you know, announcing things that they never produce um, or uh, or come out, you know, years later. So we're always a little bit hesitant about that. But in essence, uh, our challenge remains the same, which is how do we help a small independent publisher have a site that performs just as well and looks just as well as that of a major media organization, but bearing in mind that sometimes the staff that they have may not, you know, be always very good at treating things like typography or, or you know, manipulating images. So our challenge on, from the software design side is actually much, much harder, if you will, than many of these really well-funded uh, new, new media companies because they, you know, can enforce standards in a way that we can't among the audience that we serve. So one of the next things that's coming is a system where you can drag and drop and build for your entry pages. So, for example, you could have multiple versions of your homepage, which were one version you might use if, let's say, there was some kind of major news event, something breaking news, you know, maybe even building also a sponsored section, letting the people who actually do the advertising selling building that section if they wanted to. Or the idea is to basically enable an editor, not a software developer, 
to build new layouts within the site. You know, yeah, it provides a sort of variety you see on sites like the New Yorker and the big national magazines so that smaller publications without the development resources can basically have the same flexibility. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much for uh, coming on. This has been really kind of fascinating. I know we went kind of down the advertising track, but that's always a fun discussion. Because uh, people, because it is kind of important to try to figure out the the business model of this thing. Next time on, it's all journalism. From a consumer's perspective, it's the best time in the world, you know, where journalism and news is concerned, because you can find the information that you want on just about anything, and you can you have an array of choices from where to get it. From a journalist's perspective, you may feel like your audience is disappearing, or you may feel like you're um, having less effect than you used to. In our next episode, we talk to Logan Molyneux, a Temple University researcher, about how journalists are using social media and personal branding to report the news. You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the changing state of digital news. Find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. You can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. This week's podcast was produced by Amber Healy, Michael O'Connell, and Nicole Lagrisco. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.